0: Welcome to the Call Like I See It podcast. I'm James Keyes, and in this episode of Call Like I See It, we're going to react to the trend, apparently, of comparing Donald Trump to Jesus or other biblical or you know religious figures. And consider whether what we're seeing here is just normal politics, or is it like a religious or social movement, or something altogether, something different you know, than that altogether. And later on, we're going to take a look at stones. Which you know is a newly discovered uh, sedimentary rock, which you know is being seen around the world, and apparently is based in part on plastics, our discarded plastic, and it's form being formed into the rock, you know, rocks, you know, and so forth. So, joining me today is a man who has a mind like an academic, even if he can be a little eccentric sometimes. Tunde Ogon Lana. Tunde, Are you ready to show off those nutty professor vibes today? Yeah, man. I I don't even know where to go with that one. So (laughs) let's just keep going. Because I'm
1: about to get myself in trouble if I respond to whatever you just said about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now we're recording this on January 23rd, 2024. And in recent weeks, we've seen a God made Trump video get circulated, you know, by Trump and then by others, you know, who who seek to, you know, who, who. promote Trump. And then we've also just seen people, and this has been over time, that uh, try to portray Trump, Donald Trump as being, you know, an agent direct from God or somehow co- connected to messianic uh, fi- fi- uh, figures or, you know, and so forth. And, you know, this all of this commentary does seem to suggest that there are people out there that look at Donald Trump as more than just a politician or, and so forth. And so we wanted to explore that. And to get us started, you know, just between this video, you know, this God made Trump video, which is, you know, available and we'll have uh, links in the show notes and so forth to places where you can get to it through, uh, you know, and also just these attempts we've seen over the years and, you know, seemingly increasing to compare Donald Trump to Jesus or biblical figures. Um, you know, what, what do you see we're seeing here? Is this politics or is this something else? Um, it's a very
1: interesting question. I think it's a, it's, it's a mix of things, um. And I think it's something that, look, in any large population, there's going to be tensions and people that think that things should be run one way or another. But I think in the United States, this might be the first time that our country has seen um, this level of this type of attitude towards a leader who's actually in a position to lead the country, you know, and at this point, lead the country again. Um, I can think of events like the 1939 um uh, rally in Madison Square Garden, where you had American Nazis, you know, um, uh, doing the um, Hal Hitler salute to a statue of George Washington. And there was, 20, like I said, 20,000 people showed up for that. So these movements have happened in the United States, but uh, this is the first time that it looks like I, uh, one of the two major political parties has kind of decided that they're folding into this. And uh, what we're seeing is kind of this messianic mix um, and the kind of savior mentality. And that's, you know you alluded to that God made Trump video um, and I know we'll discuss more than that. But when I saw that, that was the first time I said, man, this, this, this is becoming like, um, you know, what we've seen in human history, right? Between from the Pharaohs to let's say the Japanese emperor, emperor up until the end of World War II, the idea of kind of merging a human being, a leader of a, of a nation or society into somewhat of a a living deity. And um, I mean, to even hear myself say that, it kind of sounds not serious. So uh, I kind of almost feel like, is this too hysterical? And are we all people like you and I just freaking out over something that's not serious? Um, (laughs) No, but that's what I mean. But what he reveals more, is not about Trump. The the way that people gravitate to that, I think is very revealing. Um, So in a certain way, I appreciate that President or former President Trump has shown us this because I was naive to the fact that this many Americans, our fellow citizens, would kind of just run towards something like this. So that's what what I'm seeing. I can't tell if it's religious or politics. And maybe that's the point. It's a little bit of both.
0: Well, see, I think actually this is kind of if you look from a a longer time scale, this is normal politics. Like this is the way people would. Claim mantles of leadership is is you know and ordained from God or you know put themselves above or you know ab- beyond the reach of the normal person, and I think the the surprise here and it's interesting how how you kind of went through your, your your thoughts there because I think the surprise here is that in the United States. The, the, the way the things were set up by the founding fathers was to avoid stuff like this. But th- stuff like this seems to be, if you look around the world and if you look throughout history, this seems to be the norm more than anything, where there is a large segment of people that want to put the, quote unquote, their their the, the person they want to look to as the leader, as someone who is somehow – Being given to them by God or, you know, and so forth has some kind of divine right to to do what needs to be done, what they believe needs to be done and so forth. So to me, I look at this as actually this is as this is more normal politics than we're used to. But this may not be normal American politics. And and one of the examples of this would be like with George Washington, the beginning of the country. Remember, when, when we've learned a lot about this. It was very important, his personality and the way he approached the president, both the presidency while he was the president and then the presidency after he left to set important precedents for how the country would operate. Because there were many Americans that when George Washington was the president, wanted him to just become a king and wanted him to 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 wanted to look at him as a deity like figure as well and saying, hey, this is this is the guy that's going to lead our country. And so and part of being able to bring the country together. You know, you had all these brainiac founding fathers talking about rule of law and all that stuff, but that wasn't what was drawing in the common man. They said they they thought they needed someone like George Washington to put at the head of the mantle to to really coalesce everybody together underneath and say, yeah, 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 we're with George Washington. So they utilize that. And it just happened to be that George Washington's personality. Well, you know, I mean, fortunately, if you're, if you're a fan of the constitution and that kind of rule of law government, that his, from a personality standpoint, he didn't lean into it. He was like, he, he still tried to stay above that fray. And, and, you know, him stepping down even early after the two terms saying I'm not doing it anymore was a big step as well. So I think actually, again, this is more normal from a human politics standpoint human society standpoint but what we're seeing here is kind of this interacting with this constitutional system that's been set up here that's supposed to put everyone under a rule of law and is supposed to say that all men are created equal and so forth
1: yeah no that's great and it's it's kind of ironic to me um that we're here and that actually i'm alive in this moment to see this because you know, I think we are, you know, guys like us in our mid 40s are kind of, you know, I'd say maybe 1980 is the cutoff of, of if you were born before that, you, you're kind of more steeped in growing up in the culture of the post-World War II era, right? We were, you know, I remember from movies like Red Dawn when we were kids and and, you know, watching Rambo and the whole idea of, you know, the capitalism versus communism. And, all that, right? And and Ronald Reagan saying "Gorbachev, uh, tear this wall down." We're, we're we're old enough to remember seeing that when we were kids, and so we we grew up on a doctrine of um, you know totalitarianism is bad, fascism is bad, all these kind of yeah. state run type of authoritarian systems are bad. And well, yeah, putting maybe, one
0: man at the top and then everything correct, yeah, like yeah. that
1: was to us very un American because we're coming off our parents and grandparents. You know, the experiences of Stalin and Hitler with the Nazis and Mussolini and the whole Second World War, the Japanese emperor, like I mentioned, being a god king. And, you know, what, what I realized is in preparing for a day and and you know what it was? It was the God made Trump ad. There was a portion in that ad where they said that, you know, God delivered a leader who was strong enough to de- deal with the snakes and vipers. I mean, a very religious type of wording. I think about this with hands gentle enough to deliver his own grandchildren, that commercial said that that took me by surprise. Cause that's when I was like, yo, that's a different, yeah. You know, that's not normal. Like you're saying, that's not normal politics anymore that I like. Or that's not Bush normal.
0: American mid-century American politics. That's but what that I'm is saying. <clears throat> that's just, that's not much different than having requiring everybody to have a picture of this dude in their living room. No, that's
1: you know what my, that's where I'm going. So that's why I said for us that grew up in the, time of America where we were, you know, you and I maybe weren't born exactly during World War II and all that stuff, but meaning the the living memory and the culture that we were in was that we don't like that, right? We're against that. We're here. And I mean, I just saw, I I, I tell everyone to go look at this, the 1980 debate between Ronald Reagan and and George uh, H.W. Bush, and when they're asked about immigration, it's amazing the different mindset because those men were older from that era. And that's when the mindset of most Americans was, yeah, we're here to welcome people from those parts of the world that are totalitarian. Yeah. We welcome you know, the, 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 the refugees from you know, the, the remnants of Nazi-occupied Europe, whether they were Jewish or Christian or political uh, refugee, whatever it was, it was that we are in a global struggle between democracies and dictatorships, autocracies and all that. So that got me thinking about um, Kim Il-Soon, who is the founder of... The whole North Korean thing that we know now, the grandfather of Kim, the current leader, Kim Jong-un. And I remember learning about a year ago that, again, one of the myths for this kind of dictatorship, I think this was on a Netflix uh, or an or a, uh, Amazon Prime documentary about how to become a dictator or something. And it was one of these where- <laughs> Just that uh, was water. funny because I didn't know this, but the Korean people believe that Kim Il-soon invented the hamburger.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know why, because they like hamburgers there. And in order to make him more of a God, God, King, like human, he has to invent everything. So they invented the automobile, they invented the hamburger. And when I heard that thing about Trump delivering his grandchildren with his own hands, that's when I was like, okay, this is morphing into something like that because you're asking now the the, the listener or the, or the supporter to make a giant leap because you got to either say, okay, that's embellishment and that's too much, or you got to say, oh, wow, maybe he is that good that he did sit there and deliver Ivanka's baby and Eric Trump's, you know, wife, he sat there with her legs spread and say, oh, you know, I'm, you know, bring it to me. I'm, I'm, me, I'm better than the doctor. Give me 30 cc's of,
0: of <laughs> well, we so, saw how so, he yeah. treated
1: um, Fauci and Burks. Maybe he did go in the delivery room and say that. Like, hold on, well, you guys got to get out of here. I know what I'm doing. So long story short, James, without getting the jokes aside, that led me thinking about 20th century regimes like Nazism, which I know is a dangerous. I'm not accusing any of this to go into the Holocaust, but the idea that you took a Wehrmacht Republic that was generally republic, normal, and within a decade became what we know became fascism under Mussolini, communism under um, people
0: like well, Mao. I mean, you've, you've made and, this point already. I, I do want to yeah, keep this moving, so, Well, no, that, that was going to be my point
1: is the irony that we are seeing American, our some of our fellow Americans, and enough that we got to deal with this, actually want what you and I grew up believing was not the way... That we were going to ever run a system of government.
0: Well, and that's the point is just that this isn't necessarily this isn't necessarily distinct from politics in a human sense, but it's distinct from politics in the like the, the mid century American sense or even the large part American sense. But this is, you know, this has kind of been the tried and true way to organize societies is get some charismatic guy, put a lot on them and say, hey, this is our guy. You know, this is this guy did everything. He's amazing. And then go from there, you know, and get people really invested in that and embellish stories about him to the point that people don't know if those stories are true or not. And they just like it makes them feel good to believe it. And I think the feeling part is a big part of it, which I want to get into the why here. And that's I mean, frankly, we you get to the question of why do we think this this way of looking at Trump is, you know, something that appeals to people, you know, it's something well, I should say, actually, is one that's acceptable, given the context of America, as you said, pointing out that post World War II era, where the idea of a guy at the top was something that Americans looked at and said, hey, with pride, that's not what we're about. And, you know, like it it, it goes from so acceptable to actually having the appeal of, hey, you know, like why, you know, this this is what we actually this is what makes us feel good. And I think the, the term feeling is a big part of that, actually, is just that, you know, the the what what we're seeing here is that there is a lot that is invested into the idea that that Donald Trump makes people feel good about being an American, about themselves or whatever and and so forth. And so what's happening with that, basically, is that we're building on that. It, that this, this is not something where people are making rational calculations and so forth, which, again, for people who try to lean more in a rational sense, it doesn't make any sense to them. But when you end up in a situation where it's like, OK, this guy takes what's whatever you have a problem with, whatever you're afraid of, this guy can take it on. This guy like this is about a guy that can make people feel good about something. and. When you have that, then yes, they are trying to build a movement around the guy in the sense that it, – and it doesn't have to make sense. It's not supposed to make sense because it's feeling-based. And in a world – where everything you see makes you afraid or people who are more susceptible to being made afraid about, you know, oh, you could be afraid about immigration and be afraid about this. And then they are people that are easy to make afraid. Then, yes, finding someone who can make you feel good in this scary world is something that has a lot of appeal, which, again, isn't new to human societies. But it's something that we're seeing now incorporated into our system, which, which leads to some interesting results. So when you look at the why, you know, what, what stands out to you as far as why stuff like this you think is happening?
1: Um, I'm ready for the answer, but you just said something that I got to address. Oh, OK. <laughs> no, it's interesting when you use the word scary. This is kind of the direction I was going anyway. But it made me it's going to help me crystallize what my feeling is, which is I was very naive to a lot of the things we're about to get into discussing. Uh, which is why I always saw this kind of attitude as very irrational. Um,
0: what is irrational, since, you know? But that, well, and no, that's But the- what I'm
1: saying is, based on where we're going to go in this conversation, I now find it very rational to behave this way if you believe in certain cultural, um, uh, I guess, things that 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 have manifested themselves in American, you know, thoughts. So, but when you said scary, that's really what what stuck out to me because what part of this process of me observing. This last decade of our cultural wars in the country, and kind of uncovering all this stuff we're talking about today, is the first time I'm kind of uh, you know able to accept. And this is where it becomes rational to me. I didn't realize that there's actually enough people in our country that are really scared of people like me and you. Um, and I never internalized that because I've been me my whole life, right? And I feel a proud American. I love my country. I would die for my country. All that stuff. And so. Um, I never, I never believed in things that I've since learned in recent years, like manifest destiny. Um, I understood what it was. I understood there was a time in history when there were actually, um, you know, a a lot of people in this country that believed that God gave this country to Europeans and that they had a right to expand West and overtake quote, unquote, the savages, which were the native Americans. They had a right to harvest human beings from Africa and bring bring them here to be the labor to build the foundation of of the country, and that that was their God-given right, right. And so my point is, is because I don't fit into that, I never thought of it as something that today a lot of Americans would still hold really as a cultural um, um, fact and, and a thing of importance. And I think, and again, I'll pass it back because I know we're gonna you know have a long conversation on this, but I feel like. Understanding that culture, and again, I, I don't think it's a majority of Americans, but it's tens of millions, We at least we're dealing with it, right? I think that's what former President Trump has revealed to me, that I didn't know that so many people actually have this level of anxiety just due to what appears to be the demographic changes and things like we got 59 years of integration since the 1965 Civil Rights Act. And integration generally has worked. People like me and you are normal members of the society, along with many others. And so I didn't know so many Americans would be hostile to that. I thought and I was naive in projecting how I look at our democracy and thinking that everybody was on board. So when someone like a U.S. senator like Mike Lee would say democracy is not a point of the point a few years ago, I was kind of confused. But now that I've kind of been educated about some of these cultural realities of how some Americans see their own position in the country, now that seems rational to me. I don't agree with it, but I I, I no longer look at it as irrational. I take them very serious.
0: So, that's, oh, but again, you're you're walking a line there because it, there's a lot that's unsaid, and so it, it it's rational from the standpoint you're saying that when you understand that the parts of it that are unsaid then you understand where they're coming from but it's the the parts that are unsaid are still irrational you know it's still it's maybe a rational response but it's based on stuff, that stuff that you're talking about is not written into the constitution, so to speak. No, it's stuff that yeah. is, is cult, held culturally, like, okay, well, yeah, this is what we say on the books, but what we really believe actually is this stuff. And so we're going to try to almost serve two masters here and where they conflict, actually, we're going to default to the unsaid stuff and say, okay, well, that's really what's going to govern our behavior. I mean, and I think, I mean, I think the fear piece is, is a big part of it um, yeah. because if you think about it, In terms of, okay, Americans and, and, you know, like, I think our modern technology, modern technological environment plays a big role in this. It's been studied that Americans have an increasingly negative view of each other. Um, and, And where you see this the most is... With something like what we're witnessing here with the the God made Trump or just the the efforts to put him in a biblical light. When you think your enemy, when you when you start thinking worse and worse of your political adversary, your fellow American, but your political adversary, when you think worse and worse of them, when you're conditioned to think worse and worse of them, think about it. When you when you feel like you're up against the devil, then who do you look for? God. It's like okay well hey we th- these people that we're against in in this election or in this you know that are our, our political adversary you know it's our countrymen but you, if they stop becoming your countrymen at a certain point they just become an obstacle you know and we but when you think they are so bad they they you know they are into this they're into that then yes you will start looking to to more you won't look for just a political actor you won't look for a lawyer you'll look for somebody who's willing to break the rules and who who will you know, do things that are, you know, that, that may not conform to the standards of the society because you have been led to believe, and you you are in, a, in an emotional state where what you're up against is Satan himself. You know, and so I think that's where you know where we see all this this interact is that we're seeing a level of desperation basically that is manifesting, yeah. and why we're, the need to or the the why it feels good to elevate one man and say this guy can save us from. What we've been told is you know demonic or you know satanic say like so bad that an average politician wouldn't be enough to come and deliver yeah. us from
1: this so it's interesting as you say that i i i'm sorry to say it i kept thinking of the the, the golden calf dude and because it, again I'm, I'm thinking the irony that we're watching americans behave in a way and, and responding to someone like mao or stalin or mussolini or one of these type of leaders which think about it, in those societies too those men were above the law yeah they really could i mean mussolini could shoot somebody on 5th Avenue in, in rome and or, or fine, order steel
0: team 6 to to take out a political yeah, right exactly and or so, the equivalent yeah and so that's where that's where it's just to me and by the way I just, I, just to yeah. be clear the issue we're we're not in here you know necessarily trying to throw a bunch of you know stones the issue actually that we're talking about is that it's it, this is not a message that we've been conditioned historically to believe that Americans would respond to or that would they would seek out and want. We had been conditioned in this post-World War II era to understand that Americans, while that is this is kind of messaging, has been effective and worked throughout the history of the world. Americans, because of their political ideology, which is more, you know, they constitutional you know, republic that is based on democratically elected officials, all of that stuff that's built into that, that they would look at this stuff as a negative. This kind of thing is a negative. And this is anti-American, so to speak. So it's a surprise that many Americans are drawn to this in one sense. Again, Americans are human. So it's it's one sense it's not a surprise, but in another sense it is when you look at all that baggage. And so it's like, well, well, why is that happening? Why, Why is it has it been for so long assumed that Americans wouldn't respond to this, and then they are? Is there something that's changed in the culture, or is there something that's changed, or was it? Were we just looking for an opportunist this whole time, someone who with sufficient charisma? who would try to take advantage of such a thing and not downplay it, you know, like a George Washington would downplay it and say, no, no, no that's not me. Don't put me like that. And in fact, I'm going to step away after my second term and I'm not coming back to the leadership role. And so that's really the the open question here is, you know, like and that's why we, the, right now we're talking about the why. Like, wh- why is this happening in a, in a situation, and a circumstance that historically from a cultural norm standpoint, it, it, it was believed that this wouldn't take hold in?
1: Yeah. Well, the thing is, and I'm I'm looking at some things that I want to say here, because this is where, again, it's seeing this arc of from the culture of manifest destiny, actually, and landing right today, it makes sense now to understand things like the great replacement theory. And actually, again, that's something that I didn't realize how effective and potent uh, it is, because to your point, it's fear based. And so and so and I think this leads us into this idea, to your point about needing a savior, needing someone who is above the law that to handle your, you know, what you need to do to to deal with the fear. So and this is this is why I I, I definitely would ask anyone listening to this that is not steeped in it to go look up manifest destiny and all these mindsets, because it reminded me of. Things like the cornerstone speech that we discussed in other shows from Alexander Stevens, you know, the reason why the Confederacy left uh, wanted to leave, secede from the union. And, you know, a a couple of things stick out. So, you know, I'll quote here from the the historian, um, the Anglo-American, sorry, the Anglo-Saxon race was separate and innately superior and destined to bring good government, commercial prosperity and Christianity to the American continents and the world. And so three main tenets of Manifest Destiny are the virtue of the American people and their institutions, the mission to spread these institutions, and then the destiny under God to do this work. That's where the melding with the cultural idea of the country and the religion come in, which is in con- conflict with the First Amendment. So that now can help me understand, right? That, that's how I started saying, okay, now I get why this, this kind of Christian nationalism has always been saying there's a Christian country. Then the second thing is important this is why it's we do ourselves a disservice as a country not discussing history because look at the middle of the 1800s you had all these issues you had slavery all that then you had the country expanding west so this type of attitude really did take hold because people did believe that they were coming to this continent from europe as religious this is the irony of it they were religiously persecuted by the catholic church for being protestant and so they were escaping that to come here and like humans normally do, they just decided we're going to just dominate other people.
0: Well, um, no, it was so, you know, and, and that's and it's interesting in that sense is that some said, okay, well, let's let's we'll come here and let everybody practice their religion, and they wrote yeah. that down. But then a lot of people were like, no, no, we're going to come here and we're going to impose our religion on everything else. They just didn't write yeah. that part down <laughs> in the constitution. They just that's well, you just know, how they wanted to live.
1: But, and because they were smart, like, I mean, this is again, speaks to the genius of the founder, founding fathers on creating a society like this. We see it today. If you just say, this is a Christian nation, the next thing that's gonna happen over the next generation, there are gonna be bloodbaths between which type of Christianity, which denomination is gonna be at the top. Remember the, the English had a Protestant and Catholic war for a hundred years. And, and during our lifetime, remember when we were kids, you we still had the Irish Republican army bombing Great Britain. Yeah, like they still had this holdover in our lifetime from things hundreds of years ago. And so- well, no, and see, that,
0: Let me just real quick, because that, that's yeah. a really good point. That's why, that's the why the founding fathers attempted to keep the religion out is because Correct. they knew they that it, it, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't say, okay, yeah, we're a Christian nation. We're going to do all this stuff under Christian principles. It doesn't stop there. That actually be, then leads to more conflict, which they had observed in Europe over the last thousand years that, okay, well then it's about which Christian which Christian sect will be in control, and that yeah. was specifically what they were trying to avoid. And say, okay, well, we want to, want to avoid all these wars between Christian sects. Then what we're going to say is the government's going to stay out of it from a Christianity or other any other religion standpoint. And that that that's how it's written. And then, you know, like I said, that's how it's written. But we go to this thing of how many people are actually one hundred percent on board with that. You know, versus you know, like it, it being there, it's supposed to be the law of the land. But how many people are actually on board with that?
1: Yeah. And, and, and so then that takes us to if, if, if your foundational belief about your country is intertwined with that kind of thing that my ancestors were given this country by God and, and were allowed, therefore, I mean, it's a very it, it, it's a throwback to kind of the conquistadors and the Catholic Church of Europe. I and mean, that's why this history is important, because it was the same attitude when the colonists were going out from certain parts of Europe conquering the world that the Catholic church said, well, if it's not a Christian nation, you can claim it for whoever your crown is. So the Spanish claim South America for the Spanish crown, you know, the, the, you know, the Germans and the Portuguese and the, and the Belgium all, and the French, all cut up Africa and the Middle East. So the bottom line is, is that it's understandable that people hold these views. So now if you're being told that you should be scared because uh, people are coming and they're taking over your nation, who are not part of that plan, then that leads us to, to kind of where we're going with this. The leader needs to be, is a savior. He's a Messiah. And I think, again, well, no, it's irrational. There's a second piece
0: to that. Well, this yeah. is happening and the rules and laws in place necessarily aren't gonna stop it from happening. Correct. You know? well, And so I mean, therefore yeah. you need somebody to go beyond the rules and the laws that are in place in order to stop it from happening.
1: Yeah, and, and that even explains how in some of the extreme things that we hear, that people are even saying that the teachings of Jesus right now need to maybe be put on pause because, you know, in this moment is special. And right now we can't be, you know, love our neighbor or, or, or give forgiveness and all this stuff. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting thing. And, and one of the things I did is uh, I went, I was watching a speech from President Trump from just this past Saturday. So you know, not long ago. And it was about immunity. And he said, quote, you have to give the president immunity so that the president can do what he feels and what his advisors think is the absolute right thing. The first thing I wrote after that, which you'll laugh at, I said, man, only Sith speaks in absolute. <laughs> which then got me thinking, yeah, the Sith was the one with the Empire. Um, the, the, the Jedi were the one with the Republic. But but no, on a serious note. Because I mean, think about what that says A president can do what he feels and what his advisors think is the absolute right thing. What he's saying in a more messianic tone is basically saying, you should allow me and whoever I pick to to kind of advise me to bypass the entire process of the legal structure and and the entire infrastructure of the government. And that's why we keep hearing all of these things like, um, I, I'm hearing now that some people are comparing him to Jesus against the Romans. This is why, again, for people like us outside this culture, it's counterintuitive that a guy is more popular after he's indicted for crimes. But again, when I started looking into this, I thought, no, it makes sense. That's why in the last just couple of years, he wasn't talking like this In while he was present. It's become very messianic, like he's the savior. Remember this retribution talk, um, the idea that they're, if they're coming, I'm the only one standing in the way from them coming for you, because they're coming for me. So that, when you think about Jesus dying for our sins, that's a very, that, that's not a hard thing for the mind to make to say, wow, Donald Trump is like a human version of Jesus. He's our savior. He's being crucified by this big bad government and the deep state and all that stuff in, for me. And, and if we don't support him, you know, well, that's then a mess we're going to be in a message.
0: Trouble. But yeah. I, I do want to keep us moving. Um, yeah. The, the other, only thing, I, the other thing I wanted to deal with here and, and just kind of get your thoughts on is, well, where does this go? Like, like we, we talked about how, you know, care was taken. It wasn't a, a unintentional thing to try to keep the religious overtones out of the governing structure of the United States, because they saw how this led to conflict. Perpetual conflict, essentially, in most places in the world, or at minimum, oppression. You know, it's either the conflict, or it's the con. The, the 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 conflict comes from when the oppressed the oppressed stop wanting to be oppressed, and then there's conflict. You know, like that. That's your war between the Protestants and the Catholics, you know, so to speak, in Europe. So the founding fathers were like, all right, well, we gotta we gotta prevent that. You know, so let's figure out, let's set up a structure that that tries to 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 get. To get, keep that set up from occurring, so that we can happen. So, where do you think this goes from here? Because if even if, if Trump sent from God, you know, literally, you know, or if that's what you're looking at, then this the, you typically don't just say, okay, well, if we lose the election, we we go, you know, we'll look for four more, you know, the next four years, and we'll figure out what we got to do or the next two years in the House and so forth. So it seemingly raises the stakes for everything. To you know, which goes back to the question of is what we're doing politics here or what we're doing something else.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know where it goes, but I don't think it gets much better in the short run. Um, I think, you know, things that we've identified in other shows and conversations like the technology, the media ecosystems, the ability to just trigger people and disturb them with fear based on, you know, what's what they're looking at in their phone, their iPad, the cable news. So and and again, I'm a and fan also of the, the ability
0: to shield people's information bubbles to create yeah, information and bubbles, all that. That's where nothing, nothing unflattering could ever get in.
1: Yeah. And and that's what I'm saying is, again, in a country where I do revere the First Amendment's freedom of speech clause, that the government shouldn't be able to stop people from communicating in certain ways. I don't know how we deal with that, with the ability of people to just lie and just say things that disrupt kind of our social norms. So that's number one. Number two is like I've, I've used this term earlier in our discussion. Trump is not the guy that started this. What he's more of is a revealer. He, he 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 revealed to us that there has been this pocket of Americans that have been wanting someone like this. Yeah. So to me, okay, so that's another interesting thing is at some point, because he's 78 years old, he'll be gone. Either politically, hey, he'll destroy himself or, or pass it, away. I,
0: just let me say this, have been wanting yeah. it in the sense that I, have been primed for it, have been primed to believe that it's necessary. And then, like you said, he, I think, astutely stepped in and, and presented himself as the solution to the problem that he recognized that many people were struggling with. This was the problem yeah. of, you know, America, the demographic changes or, you know, whatever that became really acute, you know, after the, the 44th president, so to speak.
1: Yeah. And, and that's what I'm saying is that like, so we know that there's already an eco an economic ecosystem now of grifting and and people, you know, from politicians to pundits in, in YouTube and YouTube and cable news and all that, that, um, that when whenever Trump is off the scene, whether you know through natural causes or just not politically accepted anymore, someone else is going to try and do this. So I, I don't think this goes away easily. And I think that's where just you know coming back to you know uh, uh, everything we've been discussing today. The one thing I'll finish with is, which which really is sobering to me. Um, I found a study that was done two years ago in 2022 um, which tracked, it actually really did a breakdown of the people arrested, 800 people at the time, uh, for the January 6th, um, insurrection. And the reason I'm just going to cite a few stats and not sit on it too much is because again, I think most of the public and us that, that don't like this stuff, um, and want to get back to more of a normal, just debate, (laughs) you know, and not violence, um, still misread this. I still see a lot of people in the non right-wing media, let's call it, um, saying, oh, the working class, white people and all this stuff. And, and I found, you know, this study found that, um, the majority of people that were arrested were in their early to mid forties and who've had families and all that. So these weren't people that were young guys with nothing to lose. 45% were lawyers, doctors, accountants, or CEOs of businesses. Um, they said 93% were employed. Um, and so it's like this. The remedies of what we normally at least would think of to deal with populism, like, hey, we need to get these guys jobs and all that, that doesn't seem to be what this crowd is upset about. And what's interesting is 50% of the people when really asked what is their real fear and their concern, it came down to Blacks and non-white Hispanics' rights are rising at a faster pace than the rights of whites. And that is a direct nod to the great replacement theory. And my point is, is that once I started learning all this, that's when I was like, okay, if you believe that, then the breaking of the democracy, the needing of a leader who is going to be above all the laws, makes sense. Because what they're basically saying is, I mean, and it's sad that people see this kind of zero summing uh, within our country. You and I, James, don't have more rights than a white person. The reality is we just have equal rights. And what we've done, meaning non-white Americans, have performed in the last 60 years. And there must be a cognitive dissonance, because if you're told that black people and brown people and women and all that can't achieve certain things because of, you know, we're stupid or inferior. And now you're watching those people achieve those things in your neighborhood, in your society, and you maybe feel like you haven't gone anywhere. That's going to cause you as a human being to say, you know what, my country is actually not what I thought it was. And I'll go pick that dude who's telling me all the stuff I want to hear. Right. And so that's why to me, this is this is really about what direction is our country going. And the people like you and I aren't going to give it up easily as well. And they don't seem to want to give it up. That's why I don't think this is going to get better anytime soon.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I I think what we have to understand is this is an attempt to overthrow or, you know, just depose the existing order. Uh, this is existing order, which is a rule of law based type of system. I mean, and that's when, when we see it, like you you, you read the, the, the quote from Trump in terms of, you know, and he's talked about this in recent weeks as far as that presidents need full immunity, which is crazy to me about this, because. I'm sure that he, he doesn't endorse full immunity for Biden. You know, it's just like, he doesn't think that all presidents should have full <laughs> immunity. He just thinks that he should have, you know, as a, when he's president, he should have full immunity. You, you but, don't think that he, he
1: believes Biden can send Seals to 6
0: <laughs> oh, so now? what he has in if, mind. You, you know, don't they, think
1: his fans would be okay with that if that oh, happened? No, after yeah, this? I don't think it's a <laughs> principle
0: thing that should apply to everyone. But I mean, if you're looking at this as an, as an attempt to overthrow the existing order, um, it claimed, they they claim they want to go back to something, but really they're trying to create something new. You know, like It may have pieces from the past that they like, but it's going to have pieces that they're, they're creating as they go, like the whole president should be a king thing, for example. Um, but we've seen, you know, attempts to overthrow the existing order, um, or fights over what the prevailing order will be. I mean, the civil war embodied that, you know, and you, you read some of the quotes from Stevens, you know, who was a prominent member of the Confederacy and saying what they were trying to do, you know, like a slavery was a big part of that, but it was bigger than that. Actually. It was like, Hey, no, there's this, this whole idea of the white Christian nation and they, we, they should dominate everything and everyone here versus this rule of law thing. And you know, we, that happened, that, when it happened there, that it, the attempt to kind of overthrow or, or the fight over what the existing order would be, it ended up being a hot war. But this was not, This the, we also saw an attempt to overthrow the existing order with the Civil Rights Movement. And the Civil Rights Movement didn't devolve into a hot war. You know, it was, there was, you know, now granted you had one of the great leaders, you know, in history, Dr. Martin Luther King, who, you know, was able to do this through a nonviolent movement. Um, but nonetheless, that was an attempt to overthrow an existing order and it was successful by and large, but it didn't devolve into a hot war. So what we're going to see here is when we have, this is an honest to goodness attempt. It, what is happening now, is not just a fight over just how we're going to, you know, who's going to be, on, have their hands on the existing controls right now. It is an attempt to change the nature of the existing controls and also have your hands on the existing controls. And so what, what we're going to end up seeing is whether this becomes something that devolves into something that's more violent or if de- depending on the statement – from, because basically the rest of the people, the people who aren't fully immersed in this idea of Trump as a deity or being sent directly from the deity or that things are so scary now that we have to take extraordinary measures to – you know, we can't live by the constitution anymore. Or, you know, we've seen this in some of the shows we've talked about in in terms of how religion is evolving right now, in terms of, oh, well, you know, you have evangelicals saying, well, the the Jesus way isn't good enough anymore, you know? So we see Americans saying the constitutional way isn't good enough anymore. And so it's the rest of the people, the people who don't necessarily feel that, if they, do they tolerate it? Do they go along with it? Or do they say, no, 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 we do want to maintain the existing order and they stand up to it. And so that, I think, the other shoe has to drop, you know, every action, there's a reaction, we're watching the action, we're talking about the action now. And so we'll see what the reaction is from the rest of the people who form a majority, and who, you know, are there is the status quo, you know, like, to me, the interesting thing is, what we're seeing, a lot of times, you know, we talk about these battles as liberals and conservatives, or progressives and conservatives. Well, the conservatives now, the conservative, remember, is those who are looking to maintain a status quo, you know, looking who, who, who caution about varying too much from the status quo. The, an attempt to overthrow an existing order is not conservative, you know, and so it's the opposite of conservative. And so, you know, it's a radical. They're the radical liberals. Yeah, they're, they're the radical. Well, I w- <laughs> wouldn't say liberal, you know, cause it's an illiberal approach, but they are definitely the radicals, you know? And so the conservatives are the ones saying, you know, Hey, let's, let's, let's move slow. Let's not do too much to upset, you know, where we are right now. So, it's kind of inverted in that sense. But I find it interesting, though, that framing it as liberals and conservatives or progressives and conservatives, the the the, the people who look at Trump as, you know, or who want to put, put Trump above, draw strength from that. Because, you know, actually, that's the wolf in sheep's clothing, so to speak, that can, I, hey, I'm just a conservative. I'm just trying to maintain the status quo while actually you're trying to overthrow it. So I find that interesting. But again, what's going to happen? We don't know. You're predicting. You know, to make that prediction, you've got to predict what the other shoe is going to be what the reaction is going to be from the rest of the people. Are they going to tolerate it? Are they going to emphatically put it down via the existing mechanisms, which is voting and elections or something else, you know? Yeah. And so that, that I think, you know, that's what we live through. <laughs> that's what we get to see, which, will, you know, should be. It's exciting yeah. times. The time to be what a well, time I to think
1: would. What- We'll see is um, a continued attempt at minority rule. I mean, I, this last couple of years is interesting. You know, the 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 Roe v. Wade overturning by the Supreme Court was what showed me a lot. Not that it's about that issue, but when when states like your home state of Ohio, Kansas, Wisconsin, people are coming out in droves to 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 kind of push back against that. What I realize is, you know, this is like you're saying there a democracy and a constitutional republic that has a representative government, because I know a lot of people, you know, like the Mike Lees of the world are democracy is not the point. The idea, and you brought this up to me in a private conversation about the 15th amendment. No, our country does guarantee the right to vote for every citizen. So again, when I see that, you know, certain people on the right are very hostile to a performer like like Taylor Swift, because she said for 4 million young ladies go, uh, she got them registered to vote. By, by saying how important it is to participate. Before I would have been like, well, what's wrong with these guys and all that. Now I kind of get it like, yeah, you just don't want that many people in there that might go against um, how you feel about things. But because of our laws, you can't stop them formally. So, well no, you got This is you what tie we're going to continue to see. Yeah.
0: Tie up it's you don't want that many people out there exercising the franchise because you want to establish and maintain a minority rule system. you, you want Correct. to be able to establish rules and laws without the majority of the people agreeing. And now granted the majority in, in a constitutional system the majority doesn't get to say whatever they want because it has to be within the restraints of the constitutional law. But that's not what's at play here. They're not saying, "Oh, right. we, you, you, the majority, want to do unconstitutional things." They're saying we just don't like what the majority wants to do, and so right. therefore we got to figure out ways to to undermine the majority or suppress the majority so that we can still prevail with minority, which is not unlike what we've seen in other times and so that's Jim Crow. Yeah. you know, that Jim Crow so was a system that's for, the thing for minority. for me and you. It's coming
1: but, from the crowd that always. Um, revered the constitution and, and the people's rights and but all see, this I stuff. Think that stuff that's the thing that that was the throw I was naive too I was yeah. I, they had me fooled
0: <laughs> they didn't really revered that stuff that was just I know. <laughs> that was the 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 the, the throw off so to speak that was well, okay well if this can deliver to for me what I want then I'm yeah. going to fight for it but as soon as it can't deliver for me what I want then I'm going to throw it out you know, yep. and so that's, <laughs> that's that's what we saw. I was the page. naive guy that thought we were all
1: in it. <laughs> I was you thought protect, you exactly. thought
0: we were all operating on principle. You know, yeah, and, exactly. But, but and, that and that speaks good <laughs> to you because that was your, your it was your projection of your own belief of your, your own feeling that everybody's operating on principle like you are.
1: I, yeah, uh, that's why I was refreshed by Thomas Jefferson's quote about you know I don't care if my neighbor believes in twenty gods or not. He's not picking my pocket. Like I don't care.
0: So like I'm fine but, with. But, but I do want to move us on, man. Yeah, yeah go right. ahead. and so the the second topic we wanted to discuss today was something you you uh, shot it over to me. I think it was a couple of weeks ago at this point, but and it's these the the discovery. Right? I mean, I, you have to call it a discovery because it's something that, to our knowledge, did not exist before. But of rock that is in part, in significant part, based on plastic that it, it has incorporated plastic into its mineral structure, and. You know, they, they even came up with a name for it, stones which, you know, is, is in contrast to limestone and, you know, things like that, sandstone. And so, I mean, our use of plastic, we talk about the use of pl- plastics in all of us and the nanoplastics and, you know, we, we plastic is ubiquitous in our society. So now it's in the rocks, too. So, you know, what, what was your, your reaction to seeing this?
1: Man, kind of like my reaction is to the last conversation about our democracy, which is I think this train's left the station with the whole climate thing and we're just gonna see these changes happen slowly and we're gonna, society will wake up a generation or two from now and look back and say, oh, this looks a lot different. Um, no, and I mean serious. I mean, this is very interesting. You're right. Um, I guess we can't call it a species of stone because stone is not alive, but you're right. in comparing it to limestone or some other granite or marble, we, we, we as humans have manipulated our earth enough that we now have a new form of geology. Um, which is fascinating. So we now have the definition of Um, And, and you know, just for, um, uh, it's been found, I'll just read real quick, in five continents and 11 countries. And just what does it mean? How does it happen? These rocks form when molten plastic cools within a minerals matrix, forming the plastic rock fusion. And so what's happening is, a lot of this is actually happening in the ocean, because remember, you have... Um, you know, lava coming out of certain parts of just the ocean and those big tubes that were, you know, life lives where there's no light and all that um, for any nerds who watch undersea documentaries. (laughs) Um, And so what happens is in those temperatures, you know, you have molten rock, but we have to your point, James, just to uh, explain for the audience that hasn't watched all of our uh, shows, um, because we've done discussions about how much plastic is really out there in the earth and that all of us breathe in nanoplastics, that's on our clothes, they found it from the top of the Mount Everest all the way to the Mariana Trench. So the idea is that the plastics that are in the ocean, when molten rock is just out there coming out of the earth and then cooling and forming into just new rocks, there's actually a, a new molecular, um, like we've invented something on the earth as humans through our pollution, which is a whole new molecular structure, which is the molecules of plastic uh, fusing with the molten molecules of stone. So that's why this is fascinating, because like you're saying, limestone is stone with lime in it. And now we have pushed enough plastic onto the planet over the last hundred years that now the Earth is starting to, like, regenerate and reform with bringing in plastic into its own, like, makeup.
0: It's it's, like... Which is the way... (laughs) That's the way the Earth does stuff, you know? Like, so, you know, what's really interesting is, you know, like, they talk about how the plastic's... They don't, they're not biodegradable. So they're going to be here for so long. And actually what we've seen is how a lot of times what they end up doing, if they're left in, you know, so to speak free, then they keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's why it's in the air. That's why it's in everywhere is because eventually they end up as like, we're not chopping them up. To where they become nanoplastics. They get broken up just in the environment, whether it be the, the UV or you know, just getting uh, agitated around, they get broken up and broken up and broken up into these super small pieces. What's interesting to me that I was actually a little encouraged by this in the sense that one good way to to prevent them from ending up in the air, in the air and in the water and everything may be just turn them into the mountains. Put them in a rock. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, hey, maybe we should take advantage of this. If we if they can get. Bonded into the the mineral matrix of rock, then yeah, we need to, to, to figure out go take go go find the plastic, go dump it into a volcano or something like that. And I, I don't really mean that because I'm sure, but other and otherwise set up situations where the plastic can what well, this can happen to plastic. In a way, probably not immediately, you know, but just, you know, if, if you can set it up to where this will happen to plastic over the 20 years or 100 year period, because it hasn't been that long. This is already starting to happen naturally. Yeah. Maybe we can kind of incentivize nature or set up nature to be able to, to, to use this process with more plastic uh, and. Yeah, lock up that plastic and rock. And then, you know, it'll get buried. And then in a million years or something, some other society, you know, will be like, oh, yeah, what? we just found fossil fuels that (laughs) used to be plastic a million years ago. And now it's coal or now it's something, you know, who knows what it'll turn into.
1: So, or it's arsenic and we're all dead. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows what that stuff will turn into in a million years. But that's what I was thinking too, which is, this is fascinating, right? Because I thought about the same thing, like, let's say longer, right? Like, like 50, 100 million years from now, and let's say the this, this species of humans don't exist and whatever, because I was thinking like, what if we produced by, you know, however long it takes humans to exhaust ourselves before we extinct, we've produced so much plastic that yeah, if you had a time machine to show up 100 million years from now, but let's say a third or half of the world's actual geology and topography is, is somehow has this plastic in it. Um, it made me realize that the earth's 4 billion years old and the whole idea of like a billion years ago, maybe there was some advanced civilization. Part of the reason why I never believed that was because I used to think about that. Like, well, we, you know, we've never found anything like plastic or something inorganic that from like more than like 10,000, 20,000 years ago for us to say. But now this is interesting because yeah, maybe in just a shorter period of time, like a few million years or something, Anything that's inorganic will just kind of be sucked into the earth again. So maybe certain even elements that we thought came from some supernova and all that might have been some advanced civilization half a billion years ago that already figured out how to get to Mars and all that. And what we're thinking is actual molecules of stuff that they actually inorganically produce. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, I mean well the, yeah, the possibilities are endless. I mean what we see like when we see and really the significant thing here is how quickly it's happening. It's happening yeah, yeah. within this short period. I mean period within of 100 like, years or so.
1: Plastic's yeah, you not imagine maybe 120 um, years. I mean it's it's not that old.
0: Yeah, you imagine that a lot of stuff will happen when you talk start on a million years or 10 million years or 100 million years. I mean that's the fascinating thing about the dinosaurs is just that they're placed at a time over a couple of a couple hundred million years and it's like well they were alive that long like where it's like okay yeah the if you go to the oldest dinosaur versus the, the 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 newest dinosaur that time period is longer than it is from the newest dinosaur to humans to now and so if you go back Remember. before the dinosaurs then like you hey. said anything could have happened and we would have no idea you know in terms of cuz that stuff would have just recycled into the earth by then and so and that's what we're seeing now is this is happening quickly but again to me I'm looking at this and the possibilities are like okay well this may create another opportunity or another avenue for us to try to be a little bit more sustainable or at minimum to minimize our footprint in a way, and again, not just just because, but in a way that will allow us to to live on the earth for longer, you know, before the earth, before what you say, we, we exhaust the earth for our purposes, so to speak. And, you know, we, we use it all up. So ideally, we can continue to use discoveries like this or anything else to to improve upon. You know how we are living and how we are living within the, the the ecosystems of the earth. So,
1: well, I was going to just say with a smile that, in fairness to the dinosaurs, based on our last conversation, they did not have a representative democracy. So they, <laughs> apparently, they were able to last three hundred million years because they were just authoritarian. So that's
0: that's another <laughs> secret. But, yeah, there you but go. No, you but, go. But, they, you know, they were tribal. They were they were tribal by definition. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: So. Well, remember, if yeah, I guess T-Rex was like the biggest guy in the block. So, you know, he, he ran the show for a long time. No one really challenged him. There was no yeah. representative of, of, of smaller ones. You know, Well, but, no, they would just um, have to
0: team up if they were going to be a bunch yeah. of small wins against him. So, well, but he i he going to get us out of here, he man. Made, he made the Triceratops go
1: against the Brontosaurus to keep them all divided. You see? It's a dividing X- all as old as it gets. I'm glad we finished here. I might rethink how I felt about the whole first half of this show.
0: I might even
1: run for office soon. Be careful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, we appreciate everybody for joining us on this episode of Call Like I See It. Subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review us, tell us what you think, send it to a friend. Until next time, I'm James Keys.
1: I'm Tunde Romano.
0: All right, we'll talk to you next time.